Give a little time for the child within you. Don't be afraid to be young and free. Undo the locks and throw away the keys and take off your shoes and socks and run you. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. And this is Jordan, Jesse, go! I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even remember what happened on this week's Jordan Jesse Go, but that's because it was a great time. Greg Fitzsimmons was here. Let's go. It's Jordan Jesse Go. I am Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Rainy evening in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Rain clouds on the horizon and above our heads. The whole various parts of the sky are heavy with rain. Sure. Uh, yeah, you're right. I like it. I'm having a nice time. It's beautiful. I'm feeling great. Uh, I think I'll have a bowl of soup later. I feel like I live in the Seattle of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Just because it's raining. That's all. It, that's the only thing, really. And all your Microsoft products. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, joining us on this week's program, a stand-up comedian, host of the exceptionally popular podcast, Fitzdog Radio, um, author, as I'm sure will come up on this program, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, welcome to the show, Greg. You know, these these clouds aren't going to dampen my mood, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you would yes. say, so Greg, let me just get this straight moving forward. You're kind of like a ray of sunshine cutting through the cloud cover. Well, I can see clearly now because yeah. it looks like the, the rain's rain gone. It does appear to have gone, yeah. Um, hey, what's that in our way? Obstacles? Nope. Oh, good. I don't see any. Hmm. Rain. <laughs> there you go. Scene. We're There's playing our... the same rain stuff game, right? <laughs> sure. Just say there's some rain stuff. Uh, Is that song? I can see all obstacles in my way, or I can't see all obstacles in my I way. Can, you can, he can see them because the, the rain, rain is gone. Is gone. Hmm. So he can see. Why does he want to see the obstacles? Well, did the Titanic want to see that iceberg? Yes. Sure. So you can go around the obstacles. Yeah. Right. Like the Tao Te Chi would tell you, water flows not again and again, bashing against the rock, but Greg, around it, giving it no none of its energy. Let me inter- let me interject a question for you. What would the Tao Te Chi say about the situation? <laughs> it wouldn't say anything. It would hold a mirror up so you could just see it. Well, guys, no religious stuff, okay? Can we keep this secular, please? Sorry, Jordan. I'm offended by it. Sorry, Jordan. I didn't mean to offend you. As a snake handler, <laughs> as a southern, a crazy southern snake handler. <laughs> Jordan, just all I ask is that you not go into convulsions during the program again. Yeah, well, I mean, okay. The back half's going to be in tongues, though. Yeah, no, Just to absolutely. warn you, the back no. half Did of the show will be in tongues. The whole, most of the show is in tongues? I've actually got an app, so I'll be able to understand what you're saying. <laughs> Good. Excellent. There is an app for that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I feel bad for saying there is an app for that. You should. The was, moment I said it, I It was the wrong thing to say. Yeah. I'm the host of the show, too. It's my responsibility. Yeah. I'll, I mean, maybe later I'll say, can you hear me now in tongues? <laughs> <laughs> Can you hey, hear me now because I'm speaking in tongues? Guys, if it makes you feel any better, I did make soup. <sighs> so if that sort of smooths over any of these rough Soup's passes, on. Will you be giving us the soup, though? Or are we just supposed to take comfort in knowing that soup exists now? Um, yeah, the latter. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I don't think 
Mm. How cruel would that be to to <laughs> steep soup where you can smell it for the entire show? Why not mm-hmm. bake some cookies towards the end and then just say, thanks for doing the show, guys. Take care. And then, yeah, maybe, and then we can hear a box of mewling kittens <laughs> outside the studio. And all we're thinking of is I can't wait to finish the podcast. And rescue those kittens. And rescue those kittens. Would, would Hasbro give you credit on using mewing as a, as a verb? Oh, I don't know. Does Hasbro have some sort of... Uh, Scrabble. They own Scrabble. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm confused. Why am I... Can, why am I uh, I've never heard mew... Like oh, you mean like meow? Oh, I said mewling. Mewling. I thought you Greg. were trying to get away with saying no. Mewling. Uh-uh. You said mewling. You know, I should. I. I. My diction's not as good as it could to be. To be fair, mewling is essentially how you would say meowing if the year were eighteen sixty-seven. Sure. If this were a letter from a Civil War GI back home to Richmond, Virginia. Well, like speaking of letters, it's funny you bring that up. My new book, Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons, is yes. filled with them. We have 75 minutes of Jordan Jesse go <laughs> to go. You don't need to worry about it, Greg. I'm just coming back we're, to you saying I'm sure he'll mention it, so it's going to be a running thing for we're me. We're going to be fine. <laughs> we're going to be fine, Greg. You don't need to worry. No, but I, I get how, as a, as a comedian, you might ha- do you have that instinct a little bit? Like when you go on like a morning radio show or something like that, is there this worry that the plug won't get in and you need to like It's actually just the opposite when you do morning radio on the road you're you're like I'll fly I'm flying into West Palm Beach on Wednesday and I get there not trying to brag or anything Yeah exactly <laughs> and only la la. to get up early in the morning and do radio they'll do four or five radio interviews so I'll be waking up at about 3 a.m. LA time mm. and I'll walk into these studios filled with caffeinated jocks and all they'll do is plug 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 and you're trying to get something conversational going right. and you can't. Well that's because I worked on a morning radio show in San Francisco. I bet I bet that you have probably done that. Do you do you work in San Francisco? Do you play the sure. punchline Cobbs Comedy Club? Yep. Johnny uh, Steele. <laughs> not Johnny Steele, but not far from it. I worked on I worked on Alice radio oh, for yeah. a little while. Who's and, uh, who's Johnny Steele? Legendary comic and uh, radio broadcaster there. Very mm. funny. Yeah, a longtime San Francisco stand-up comedian, morning radio host. Just one of those guys that he probably at, one, at some point hosted Mornings on 2. Yeah. Doesn't he always wear a hat? Isn't he always wears a hat. Thing? Yeah. Always, it's, you know, it's his thing. It's, he's, he, it's, it's to sort of send the, send the message that he's sort of a wild rebel in 1985. <laughs> specifically. <laughs> He'd wear it backwards sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, he's sort of a wild rebel in the same way that Huey Lewis is. This I was noticing this as I was driving here today. Uh, I drove through. Uh, I drove. Uh, I drove on Sunset Boulevard, uh, kind of through the area of Sunset Boulevard called like the Sunset Strip. Again, not bragging. Not bragging. Yeah, <laughs> on my way to West Palm Beach, uh-huh. um, listening to my AM/FM radio. Um, <laughs> And they have a bunch of memorabilia on the Sunset Strip commemorating the kind of rock and roll history of the Sunset Strip. Like, uh, there's a bunch of, like, banners, and there's the Sunset Strip Music Festival, and there's all these kind of painted guitars out there now. There's these big guitars that have been painted by various, uh, you know, famous rock and roll artists to kind of remind you, hey, the Sunset Strip was a bastion of rock and roll. And I could see how, like... You know, I, I kind of can picture it in my mind in 1985. Uh, you know, uh, I want to see Motley Crue and them, you know, 
uh, uh, fingering girls on stage and doing a line off the amp and then smashing it, but I feel like the Sunset Strip should just do itself a fucking favor and not remind us how lame it is now. <laughs> like, it is the dumbest, most touristy part of L.A. Stop reminding us of how it would have been cool to be here in 1985. Anyway. I feel good hearing you rage, let a little bit of rage out about this, because you used to live very nearby the Sunset Strip. Sure. Um, in the neighborhood, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I would never blame you for living there. You had a beautiful apartment. Sure. Had a nice deal on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were, it was, it was uh, proximate to local attractions. Absolutely. Your workplace. There was a Trader Joe's half a block away. I know. I mean, how can you complain about that? But the, the dumbness of that area is so epic. It just really, like, if you think, you know... Hoboken on Friday night or something like that is is full of dumb guys showing you their abs. The dumbness is so spectacular because it is tinged with it is the it is pretty much the biggest of that, but it's also sad. Yeah. Well, it's become a satire of itself. You know, sure. like you said, I mean, the Hard Rock Cafe is the emblematic <laughs> failure that's of perfect. cool. Sure. And so when you go to a mall that's on the corner of Hollywood and is it Vine and it is uh you know a bowling alley called Lucky Strike oh, and sure. everybody's wearing vintage bowling shirts and everyone's hot and they make it feel like you have to know someone to get a lane when the truth is a tourist bus shows up and they all get to go in. It's it's like the Disneyland of cocaine. title of the episode um um, yeah and you know what like i'm not saying that that 1985 motley crew coke off the amp shit wasn't dumb because it probably was it was was, very dumb and it was probably insufferable in its own little way but at least that's a thing yeah that is i mean like i think anyone who's seen like heavy metal parking lot or something sure can speak to the dumbness of that. Sure. Certainly that's dumb, but the, but at least it was sort of, it was sui generis. It was of itself. It wasn't a representation. <laughs> it wasn't a representation Are you, of Wait, is this else. just bragging that you have an in at Hasbro? <laughs> you know what? I actually, I was early and I sat in my car playing is, Scrabble on my iPhone. Is, oh, wait, well, is it Scrabble or Words with Friends? No, no, this is Hasbro's Scrabble. Oh, okay. they, I paid money, I is get the real deal. Is book published by Hasbro? It's funny you say that. I wouldn't do it. I is it a Pop-O-Matic book? Does it have a little <laughs> bubble with dice in it and you just, you pick which oh, page like, to turn like to? Boggle? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. No, um, I think that the great thing about Sunset Boulevard is pulling out of it. Like whenever you think of like Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip or it always is the back of a Corvette squealing tires. You're leaving Sunset Strip late Mm -hmm. at night. Like you're going into the hills for the real party. It's never on Sunset Strip. Sunset Strip is where you find the tranny or the coke core, whatever it is you seek in a seedy, high energy place. In my case, it's a tranny coke core. (laughs) Wow, that doesn't take long to find there. Yeah. Any other place in the world, you could spend hours. Right. But I. You have to ask around. You have to ask at the post office. Maybe even it would be harder to find one or the other. Yeah. You'd have to date several people in one night to accomplish all those things. Sure. Right. This is is economizing by going to the Sunset Strip. One stop shop, as they say. Filipina, by the way. You're young men, so I will speak to you from first person. 1985, I was partying. I was. Uh, sniffing said cocaine, but never 
with Guns N' Roses in the background, never with girls with, with platinum dyed hair. I was, you know, I was hanging out with rock and rollers, but but classic rock still. We rejected all 80s music entirely. We kicked it back to You're it. saying that you were a cocaine nerd. Fine. <laughs> well, what are we what are we talking here? So you've rejected you've rejected GNR Motley Crue White to Snake. Zeppelin, the classic well, nerd music of of our uh, of the last 40 years. You're talking you're talking postmodern nerd here because that I've never heard Led Zeppelin thrown in the nerd category. We we listen to music from 1967. Uh, just want to point out most songs about hobbits. Continue. <laughs> yes. But also about it was based in old blues. It was based it's in It's a rocker nerd. I'm not saying it's not a rock and roll nerd, but the rock and roll nerd, the one that doesn't like all, the one that doesn't get into whatever the alternative rock of the time is, is really into Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. Really? Yes, of course. But the, again, this is postmodern. Back then it was a rejection of huge guitar solos and of uh double you know double bass drumming sure it this was about you know wishing things could have been as good as they were from 67 to 73 and it was not there was no nothing nerdy about it well speaking of 67 to 73 the the thing that leaps to my mind most distinctively in when you talk about the sunset strip is this documentary that i watched called lemmy about uh, Lemmy Kilmister from um, uh, Motorhead. And this was at South by South. We saw it at South by Southwest where I, I met and interviewed Lemmy, which was pretty neat. And the documentary is basically two different things. There's two parallel tracks in this documentary. One is Lemmy on stage with, you know, the microphone nine inches above his head and the bass and the, you know, Iron Cross and like all of the various things that make Lemmy Lemmy rocking out and just being amazing. And like there's no doubt Lemmy is amazing. That's why Motorhead is the one thing that is both of uh, that it, that both people who like Def Leppard and people who like Led Zeppelin and people who like punk rock like both of those three things. <laughs> um but the other half of this movie is is basically just Lemmy in his house, which is just wall-to-ceiling Lemmy memorabilia, and it's just an apartment. He's lived in the same apartment on the Sunset Strip wow. since the mid-'70s. That's great. And it's just— Still renting, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it is Still so— Still mails in his $200 rent check. <laughs> it is like, Jordan, your apartment uh, one block away from the Sunset Strip mm-hmm. was a palace compared to this shithole that Lemmy from Motorhead lives wow. in. He, it basically looks like a cat person's apartment, only instead of it being a cat person's apartment, it's full of Lemmy-related shit. Like, he's just got all everything that, uh, like, a fan ever sent to him. Like, every, like, crocheted Lemmy doll or, like, some or p- picture of him, every Lemmy toy that's ever come out, it fills up his thing, except for the Nazi room, which is full of Nazi stuff. Is that true? Yes, Absolutely. So he's not a Nazi himself. But how, is, how does one gain entrance to the Nazi room? Uh, he'll just show you in there. He doesn't seem to think that there is an issue with the fact that he, he is a Nazi enthusiast who wears Nazi stuff on stage and d- has an entire <laughs> room dedicated to like Nazi daggers. But and it's stuff. different. Somehow it's different when. Um... When you're on stage and you're moving and you have it on, but when it's still. 
and it's yeah. displayed. <laughs> usually that requires... Maybe there's a, some track lighting on it. Yeah, usually it takes track lighting and you need a basement. Yeah. But when you have it in an apartment and it's out for display, it's almost like Louis C.K. used to have this joke about how, you know, when you're at a carnival or a fair and you've got a giant stuffed Yogi Bear, you're like a hero. Two blocks away from the carnival, you're a loser. <laughs> yeah. There's this... The, uh, the thing that Lemmy does when he's not on tour is he goes to this bar on the Sunset Strip called the Rainbow Room, which was a famous... It was the famous bar, apparently, of this sort of 1982 coke fuel fueled insanity. And uh, he plays video trivia. For literally... He drinks continuously. And I can verify that because I interviewed him at, you know, noon, and he was drinking continuously through the interview. Bourbon or beer? Uh, he drinks hard liquor. Straight? Wow. Uh, yes. Wow. And, uh, in fact, often out of a bottle. Just straight out of a bottle. I was thinking about that about an hour ago, about <laughs> drinking, because I was thinking to myself, if I, I haven't drank in 20 years, and sure. I do it out of fear. You know, I don't do it because I'm trying to get closer to God or because I think I can be a better person. <laughs> I just feel like I'm so tenuously close to being an utter failure and living homelessly, even though I've done fine. I've done very well in life. Yeah, no, you're successful. But the liquor to me, and I think to myself, God, I wish I was one of those people that could say, yeah, you're going to get drunk and you're going to do stupid things tonight, but then you'll wake up tomorrow and you'll go back to work and you'll do all that. But then I thought to myself, if I started, I'd be like that guy in the movie. Uh, Jeff Bridges was in that movie last year where he was a, a, a country singer. Crazy Heart. Uh, Crazy Heart. I'd be that guy. I would, I would be in the hotel locked up drinking all the time hmm. because I don't know how to do it a little bit. I would be like your friend. Yeah. My friend Lemmy from Motorhead. But, but he's functioning at a he's decent level. Completely. Number one, I love the idea that I'm friends with Lemmy. Sure, we're friends. Great, done. Um, but number two, he is 100% functional. In fact, he is at the point where I think if he wasn't drinking continuously, that's when his life would fall apart. Yeah. He is, he spe- I mean, he doesn't speak clearly. Uh, he's borderline <laughs> incoherent, but it's his own personal borderline incoherency. It's not because he's drunk. Like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, exactly, precisely. He has a working class, he has a working class British accent, and he also is 65 years old and has been shouting for all of his life. And so it just sort of sounds like, hey, blah, 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 and blah, blah. does he work? I mean, he's, he's in fucking Motorhead. He, every, you know, once a year he goes out. Does yeah, a big no, I think tour. Motorhead and Motorhead will play like a, like a music fest. Motorhead will play like a, sure, like a, an you all know, tomorrow's a, parties. a bumber shoot. Yeah. yeah. So they get, they're getting big, big paydays. And the guys that have been in Motorhead, they've been in Motorhead for 25 years. It's not the original lineup, but it's like the, the original lineup from like the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. Um, and uh, fucking Lemmy, I mean, he's like, he's, he must be 65. Wow. Because he, he was in a band, a very influential, actually, like uh, uh, sort of proto-prog rock, like um, uh, uh, psychedelic band called, if I remember correctly, Hawkwind. Um, before he was in Motorhead. So he's had, he had these two careers. He got kicked out of Hawkwind because, uh, as they described it in the documentary, uh, while they were all doing hallucinogens, uh, he was doing speed and cocaine. 
So he was aware of how bad the music was. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But, I, you know, it's a beloved band. I don't know. But he, I th- I'm pretty sure he probably still does a fair amount of speed, too. Yeah. I think he just has reached a point in his life where he's 65 years old. Uh, if he's going to die, he's going to die. And uh, you know, I'll tell you what. He was nice. Like I said, coherent. Uh Clear eyes is probably an overstatement, but like, you know, not bad for a 65 year old in terms of eye clarity. It's just, it's, it's not just unique to rock and roll. Cause I know comedians that are not quite that old, but that have been doing blow and drinking for two to three decades and they keep doing it and they keep showing up for shows and they seem to be just the same character they were to be i mean keith richards is a perfect example Hmm. you know prolific enjoying it having relationships and not going over the edge just living right on it that's actually by the way lemmy's explanation for why he's not a nazi despite the fact that his entire home has a nazi theme um he says how could he be a nazi when he's uh fuck so many black chicks (laughs) oh good (laughs) the proof is in the pudding as they say what Oh. Pudding in this case means lemmy jizz. Yeah. I think you meant chocolate pudding. The women. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Their vaginas. Um, we'll be back with more in just a second on Jordan Jesse Go. <laughs> it's Jordan Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. My name. Greg Fitzsimmons. I like it. Yeah. It's punchy. Yeah. I mean, usually we let people come up with a nickname, but I think my name is Greg Fitzsimmons is kind of, I don't know, to the point. I think my name, Greg Fitzsimmons, is a good, it's a solid nickname. Absolutely. You're not, you know, whale penis or something. That's gauche. All right, fine. Fitz dog. All right. Yeah. But you're going to make fun of me. No, I I was speaking sincerely that my name, okay. You you, you know, you get the Los Feliz kind of, dry anyway (laughs) greg fitzsimmons back on board yes he's checked back into the program he's decided to support it again fuck fitz dog um yeah fuck it (laughs) fuck it wait now i'm not sure how clean is this show i get confused all All right no it's pretty i've been so clean up till now i just talked about jism a minute ago i talked about lemmy's jism which is about the most unclean thing there is in the world it. I would imagine there could be a CSI Lemmy. <laughs> Each week, you could go into a different part of how destroyed the uh, chromosomes are in his. In his Lemmy kill misters. <laughs> um, I would like to. Uh, we talked a little bit about the San Francisco Giants playoff run on the last program. Yep. Um, and I realized I I forgot to talk about something that's really important, at least to me personally. Sure. Um, and it's not just the Giants. Uh, it, it's not just the Giants' wonderful song uh, "Bye Bye Baby." Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just our friend Ashcon's uh, "Don't Stop Believing" cover uh, for the benefit of the San Francisco Giants, which people keep emailing me. They heard it on like Philly Sports Talk Radio and and all over everywhere. So God bless Ashcon for that. Um, it's not just uh, Giants closer Brian Wilson. Uh, who I just saw an interview with him on the uh, Jim Rome Sports Talk radio show. He apparently wore orange orange cleats 
um, onto the field. And there's a rule that your cleats have to be at least 50% black or white or something like that. It's sort of like the the Michael Jordan got busted in the his rookie year for wearing all red Jordans. He had to wear black Jordans or white sneakers or something like that. Um, and I saw Jim Rome ask him about that. And he said, so what, what exactly was the fine for? And Brian Wilson, who's well known for having a mohawk and a big beard, uh, just said, because my feet were too covered and awesome, yeah. which was pretty great. But the real thing that I want to bring everybody on board with, um, folks out there in the Jordan Jesse Go audience know about what you might call my love affair with Booth Bonzer. Um, Booth Bonzer was a uh, uh, college draft pick of the San Francisco Giants, later went on to pitch for the uh, Minnesota Twins. Um, and for a while, we had a lot of discussions of which was better, Booth Bonzer or Shia LaBeouf. Um, the Giants have a new starting pitcher. He's pitching as we record this tonight um, against the Philadelphia Phillies in San Francisco. His name is Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> Madison Bumgarner. I think you're reaching. You think Madison Bumgarner is a reach? I do. It's uh, Yeah, I do. He's in, a lefty. In what way is it a reach? I don't know. I mean, I feel like we had so much fun with Boof Bonzer. I, that's such I'm a just... singular, ridiculous name, well, and I don't... You think that this is sort of like um, like Gremlins 2, the new batch? I think it is a little bit. Even if you get Tony Randall to do a voice. <laughs> you know, Which was hilarious. I, I just heard, I mean, I know some of the old timers are not happy with the name. Like uh, Dick Butkus was just saying the other day sure. that he felt <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm saying I will listen to the name a few more times. But I was automatically on board with the name Boof Bonzer. I'm just saying I don't think we need to try and pull out more ridiculous names. But I'm not pulling it out. Because I know someone named Madison, and I also know someone named Bumgardner. So I feel like hearing those two names together... You have a Bumgardner. That's what you're trying to say. (laughs) Yes, I have a but. Um, So I'm just saying that these don't seem like two foreign names. It sounds kind of funny together, but I have neither heard of anyone named Boof or Bonzer... But I'm sorry. Are nicknames allowed, or these have to be your birth name? This is his birth name. Okay. And Boof was his nickname, but when he was in college, he had it legally changed to Boof. Then I have to I have to go with you. This is uh, unacceptable. I mean, it it has to be because then who knows? People are going to hear about this show and sports players. Uh, Ocho Cinco changed his name legally. Right. Are you going to consider that? Absolutely not. Can I go historical with Van Lingle Mungo? I'm just saying, why do we have to keep talking about funny baseball names? Because the Giants are in the playoffs, Jordan! (laughs) Yes, I know! It's on TV right now! So? Why do... I'm just saying. Let's not... Let's let's let it happen organically. Jordan, why are you standing in the way of the Bye Bye Baby Bonanza? I am not. Whatever that thing you want to happen is fine. But I am just saying, we don't need to try and create another meme where one maybe does not necessarily exist. You don't think there's a meme in Madison Bumgarner? I don't really. Buster Posey? I love a weird name, okay? I have been talking about Jan DeBont nonstop since I remember that the guy who's, who directed Twister's name was Jan DeBont. Okay. I'm on board. This is not a hatred of baseball thing. I'm just saying, 
if we want to have a weird name we harp on, maybe this isn't it. You don't think it's Madison Bumgarner? I don't really. It's a left-handed starting pitcher. I the San ima- Francisco Giants. I can't imagine that's not true, but <laughs> I'm just... Well, I don't know. Was there something you wanted to do with it? I mean, do you want to... I just I mean, think I'm about willing it. To, I'm willing to hear some laugh to myself. Suge- oh well, I'm not standing in your way, but I'm encouraging people across America to think about it and laugh. <laughs> I'm bringing joy into people's lives across America, maybe. But uh, this show is listened to around the world, and I would yep. think people in some countries might hear uh, Greg Fitzsimmons and think it's the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard. It is pretty ridiculous. It's a little Are funny. people saying that? Yeah, that's, that's what why people I'm going, say. That's why I'm going with Fitz Dog from now on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to have a ridiculous name. <laughs> Not in this business. No. Don't want to start standing out now. Sure. Jordan, have you seen on, on our message boards right now at mm-hmm. MaximumFun.org, there is a dynamic and growing thread about people learning to love sport. Sport. Not the playing of sport. That's too much exertion there. Sure. It's not for the podcast audience. <laughs> but the watching of sport. Yes. Do you, think, what, do you think I could get you to like sports? I mean, I often think it would be fun to have a sports team. Uh, a lot of the dudes in my office that I like to hang out with uh, sometimes. What are they, like Lakers fans? Probably Lakers fans. Uh, there's a Philly contingent. There's some really? guys who dress in Philly stuff and get to watch the Philly game. Uh, sure. My kind of best buddy at work is a Chargers fan. <laughs> um, have we talked about the Chargers song before on this show? Uh, we have, yes. Okay. Just wanted to check it's in. It's a very funny song. Um, yeah, so there's... What else do people really like? Um, I'll just say, a, if anyone is just checking in now to Jordan Jesse Go, it's very much worth your time to go to YouTube and type in San Diego Superchargers sure. and hear the Chargers theme song. Continue. Uh, yeah, and I sometimes think it might be fun... To join in, and I can appreciate a good sporting event if someone would explain to me why something is interesting. You know who the players are, why they maybe there's a rivalry, a history, a past. Are they lovable losers? Are they something, something? But I often feel annoying when I ask people to explain that to me. I like a curse. I like a good. Yeah, curse. a curse is great. Yeah, Greg, sure. are you a sports fan? I I have to agree with you. I feel like if there's a crossover element to it, if I'm like Barry Bonds, I mean, if I hear that there's steroids involved, if I hear that the guy, if there's domestic violence, if there's dog fighting, you want to <laughs> you want to you want a sort of law enforcement angle. I want to root against people. I guess is what it comes down <laughs> to. I mean, yeah. Michael Michael Vick came on to the Eagles this year and actually did a fine job, and then he got injured, and I felt like we won. <laughs> we were cheering the for him. The non-dog fighting enthusiasts of the world have <laughs> emerged. No, I. You know what? It's a. It's something that I, I fight with because existentially, I I hate. Jocks. I mean, let me start by saying I'll get to existential. <laughs> Jocks were the guys that used to beat me can up. You bring and it around back around to the I Ching by the end. I, I'm hoping that I can I can somehow solve a lot of people's uh, problems with war, which I'm all for. Great. If if you can look at eleven jocks and find some kind of uh, uh, you know good cheer in your heart, I can't. They date raped you know girls and they they beat up me. And now I'm not going to cheer for 11 of them on a field. 
and then there's the whole idea that well they're all, they're going to leave if they get offered more money from another city. So what are you cheering for exactly? You're cheering for a color of a jersey. There's not even the owners change all the time. The stadiums change. So, but yet, yeah, I like it. Was was getting beat up a like a thing that happened to you? Like was that like a real like a part of your adolescence or your young adulthood? Like oh, like getting picked on meant like some guys going like. Hey, meet me at the gym, meet me outside the gym after school or something like that. No, I mean where I grew up, there was just a lot of fighting, and uh-huh. I where I, was it? Where did you grow up? In New York. Okay, and and it was it was not necessarily me always getting beat up, and it was you never were mostly pro- fighting over stickball games. Yeah, stickball, kick uh, the can. The sure. only arranged well, it did, stickball is very different in New York. You, it's fast pitch, and you you. Uh, you play against the wall of a school. Old Mr. Wilson's delicatessen. Somebody stole a penny candy. Yeah, but first he'd roll up his sleeves and make a fist and shake it in the oh, air. Who broke my window? There was only one prearranged fight, and there were uh, there were like five or six of us from public school, and there were five or six guys from the Catholic school nearby. Wow! And, and we met in an alley. That's how did that. Now, how do you? Just how did the public the alley, school started kids, snapping? Sure. How did the public school kids even come across the Catholic school kids to create that beef? It was a gale. Oh boy! So one guy was dating a girl that another was she guy like liked. up on the fire escape, like wearing a wearing a rag around her head and going like, "Oh." She had a jean jacket with a collar up. Yes, <laughs> and uh, penny loafers. And so we met up, and two guys squared off. The two guys that were supposed to do it. And I remember cheering for my guy, Kyle, and uh, I remember my friends telling me to shut up because they didn't want it to spill over into six on six because oh, there were yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no but there was nobody there to break it up. The key to any real fight is knowing there's a teacher or a cop or you know bystanders to break it. But six on six was scary to everybody. Yeah. I feel like maybe we talked about this when uh, when Mike Schmidt, the 40-year-old boy, was on the program. I feel like he's been in so many fights in his life. It is so foreign to my experience, the idea of getting in a fight. Like, I've been, I've been in places where there were shootings, and I've been, you know, I've been mugged different ways. And one time that guy just punched me in the face for no reason. But I've never been in a fight fight. I've never, like, hit someone. Well, you're you're six, what five? <laughs> yeah, it's twelve foot seven. But so people aren't going to necessarily pick on you, even though you. Don't. I am kind of gay. Well, you come off as like the what was the uh, in Spy Magazine uh, uh, manners man or something? Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. It was this great cartoon where he had a steel hanky, and he, anytime somebody was impolite, he would hit them in the head with it, and they'd die. But hey, listen, tip of the cap to Kurt Explodo Anderson, founding editor of Spy Magazine. Sure. Hey, th- he was the founding editor. Yeah, he and great great Graydon Carter, who edits Grayson Carter, Graydon Carter, who edits Vanity Fair now. Wow. Now the host of Studio Three Six. And a past Jordan Jesse Go guest. Interesting. So the point is, you carry yourself with a certain aplomb, and I think a confidence, and you're tall. I am short and yeah. skinny and Irish, and so <laughs> it's a it's a horrible uh, magnet for violence. Do you believe in the premise that the I- Irish are by by some sort of nature a belligerent people? And I should co- coach. The, I should couch this. In the context that the closest I ever got to being in a fight uh, was visiting my stepmother's family in Ireland, uh, playing rounders, which is uh, roughly equivalent to baseball, 
And um, are you sure you weren't just watching Rounders, starring Matt Damon? And, <laughs> I was watching uh, the movie Rounders. Now okay. that I think about it, um, and uh, I almost got in a fight, and I didn't. I sincerely didn't even understand that I had almost gotten in a fight. Yeah. Until I realized, like, oh, people are about to start being violent to each. Other. Like I was like t- eleven, and maybe ten, ten or eleven, and I was like, what? Why are people? What happened? Like, how did this You're all a, of a sudden become a, a matter of getting into a fight? You were like a Native American when the first explorers came. Yeah, I was busy. I was busy marveling at the glass baubles, and they were about ready to put the drop the hammer. They were loading the musket while you were counting out corn pieces. <laughs> corn pieces. Well, you know, I think the Irish the Irish come from corn pieces. The two, funny. The two things I the two things I admire most about Native Americans are number one, their rich spirituality. Sure. Number two, the way they count those corn pieces. <laughs> Always an accurate count. Yep. No they matter were, how many or how few. <laughs> You know, it wasn't until Del Monte they started calling them niblets. By yeah. the way, asterisk. Sure. I, That's the oppressor's name. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, the Indians called it maize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Irish come from a long history of oppression from uh-huh. the British, and I think the Catholic Church made us ashamed of ourselves. And I think that we got really pissed, and we still are. All of my stepmother's stories, my stepmother's uh, uh, from Northern Ireland, from Belfast, all of her stories about her childhood involve violence. Um, and she thinks that they're all hilarious. Yeah. Um, and they, every one of them terrifies me. Yeah. I mean, my stepmother is a very, very funny woman, certainly the most funniest person in my family. But what she thinks is being just a delightful anecdote, it's always like the time that guy tried to rape her and she kicked him in the balls, <laughs> threw him down a flight of stairs, and then her brother kicked the shit out of him until he was bleeding from his eyeballs. Well, think of the early silent movies. It really, you know, the word rape was never used only because they weren't talking. But it was always a guy with a seedy mustache like Louis Tiant right. grabbing a woman and her shrieking. I mean, it was attempted rape. And then there was a ball kick, and there was funny music, and you know, it's the heart of comedy. I re- right. I I can remember like like as a kid, like figuring out, like thinking for the longest time because of that convention, because of the you know, uh, woman tied to a chair. Um, maybe most prominently in my mind, uh, in the opening of the video game Kung Fu. Uh-huh. Uh you you see your girlfriend tied to a chair, she gets taken off. Like that idea of that like just thinking for the longest time that that men just liked to tie women up and keep them in a room. Yeah. <laughs> like and just thinking that like and like and like when a child got abducted, you never like as a child you never think like, oh well they're probably getting raped, like you're like, no, you oh, just, uh, yeah. They're in a basement being like forced to play or you know, like I don't know what. Well, cuz the cuz the uh the prologue was they were getting candy. Yeah, I mean, it, right. It, it, sure, how sure. horrible could it be? The guy at least is giving them some candy. Yeah. Maybe you think that like, oh, this is just like a a guy who wants a kid and can't get married or you know, something like that. Can uh, we explore the other elements of sort of your childhood worldview that were shaped by Nintendo Entertainment System games? Yeah, way to nerd up that story. Oh, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about <laughs> rape in. here. All of a sudden you're uh, playing video games. Sorry. Come to think of it. 
Donkey Kong was probably a rapist. <laughs> an ape rapist, yes. I mean, an apist. An ass, a- asteroids. I mean, what were those yeah. missiles going for? Right. Uh, like that pipe wanted Super Mario to go in it. That's a kind of rape. No, it's. And it's not. Sorry. I've going back to kidnapping. It sure. starts. It starts with candy. Then there's a nap. There's a nap in yeah, there. Yeah, a chloroform nap. Well, we didn't know that then. Sure, we just yeah. I always remember my first understanding of rape because it was explained this way. <laughs> was that a man? I'll always remember. <laughs> back in a more innocent day, it was a coloring book at the doctor's office. <laughs> you had to you had to trace lines. You didn't even understand it was rape until oh. the end. And I remember hearing that a man would take a woman's clothes off. He'd rip her clothes off, and then I just assume it was embarrassing for the woman. I didn't know <laughs> he was just a prankster. Yes, yeah, sure. Well, I mean that that was a big problem at the time. Pranks, uh, certainly gadabouts were sure. a big problem. Well, there was um, roughhousing. Sure, pole sitting. Well, that's where it really got bad. Apes throwing barrels. <laughs> An ape who got a hold of an unlimited supply of barrels. <laughs> we'll be back in just a second on Jordan Jesse Go. It's Jordan Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. They call me Fitz Dog. Who's they? All right, I call myself Fitz Dog. Okay, that's fair. Look, no one calls me America's radio sweetheart. <laughs> Certainly no one calls Jordan boy detective. Elvis Costello calls you America's Radio Sweetheart. He does. Yeah, sure. He does. That, actually, he, he's written a lot. A lot of his work has come out of his appreciation of me and my public radio show. Well, he needs a lot of inspiration because he makes two albums a year. So he just <laughs> yeah. needs to look at random people. And he's a little bit like the John Irving of rock. Like, it's always the same characters. There's always like a crying clown. <laughs> you know, with John Irving, there's always a midget and a sure. wrestler and a bear. <laughs> He's just, what happens is, the deadline comes, he's got to have 12 songs for the fucking Alison Krauss duets album. <laughs> you know, he's like, great, I'm making an album with Bernie Tallpan. Mm. I've got my fucking, you know, like, Carol King and me, I've got our record coming out, we've got to have some songs on it. Yeah, and I think it's always, to me, that's always a game of chicken, those duet albums. Because the Tony Bennett one, no, he did Burt Bacharach, which was really, really good. But Burt Bacharach needed a little fresh air in the room. Sure. And, and you know, Elvis Costello wanted some of the, uh, wanted the standards. He wanted some of the credibility of the standards. Right. So it worked. But you got to be careful because, like, with rappers, you if you do somebody else's album, they could blow up bigger than you. So you don't – you always want to make sure that you're, you're up – you're upselling you're the yourself. Boss mm. of the, that you're the boss of what's going on, clearly, or that you're – you're working to on something that will make you more closer to the person you in a don't, good way. You don't want Alison Krauss bringing you down. That's that patented, by the way, Jesse Thorne public radio host eloquence mm. on display in that horrible, horrible train wreck of a sentence. <laughs> that just disaster area of a nonsense string of words. Can you lay the sound, tra- uh, the, the sound effect of a train crashing during that? <laughs> I'll just press this button on my <laughs> Studio 360. I've got a guy who does that. Change the format of the show to make sure that was on board. It's the most important part of any show. Um, uh, shit, there was something in my head. You guys. Allison Krauss. Uh, Allison Chains. Um, Chained Heat. 
Heat lamp. Lamp. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, no, we're just, look, we're just here. Just we're saying some, words. We're having some fun. Sure. We got Greg Fitzsimmons here. Greg Fitzsimmons has a new book coming out. What is he, we're talking about first week in November. November 9th, 2010, so it's exactly the inverse of 9-11-2001. Mm. So is hoping... that why you picked that? So maybe that'll be an especially lucky day. You think I picked 9-11? Yeah, you picked 9-11. I knew about 9-11. Well, you had 9-11 on the trifecta. All right. In the third position on me... the trifecta. Yeah. After me... the USS Cole <laughs> and the subway in Tokyo. Listen, guys, I'm just going to call a drunk asshole I know to describe loose change to us, okay? Great. I'm just going to hold the phone up to a mic. Sounds like uh, a plan. Hey, Jordan. While we're on the topic of 9 Yeah. Yeah. I have a story where that factors in. Would you guys like to hear it? I would love and to hear it. And maybe offer me some advice. I would love to offer you some advice. Number one, I would say um, if you can get into sort of like a strategic position <laughs> in the organization, uh, you won't have to blow yourself up. And I would also say, if you have uh, an alley that you have to pull out of your driveway near, put one of those rounded mirrors mm. so you can see in all directions. Guys, this is great. I'm going to throw one more thing in there. Right. Um, let's say you buy a used car on Craigslist. You're in Times Square. Don't lock your keys in the car. Sure. That's my recommendation to if you. If you travel a lot, I would go with a synthetic material for your dress shirt. And then mm. you don't have to worry about ironing. The crease will actually stay in the shirt. Uh, and uh, let's, I mean, God, this is great. Let's talk facial hair. <laughs> How much? Well, of course, if I want to be conspicuous. Because I'm giving real terrorist advice. Sure. I'd say a bushy beard. Now, we're going to have to go to Greg because Greg is giving sincere, thoughtful advice. You have more of a roundish face, so I mm-hmm. would work with something that is centered on your chin and avoid mutton chops because I think it will actually give you a, a fatter face. Oh, okay. You're right. Okay. So September 11th, Jordan. Uh, okay, well, let's... Uh, uh, this. I was in a, a costume shop. Number one, recently. thank God we haven't forgotten. Yes. Go ahead. I was in a costume shop uh, buying costumes for work. Uh, Greg Ford, uh, you probably don't know, I work for a TV show where I often have to wear a funny costume. Um, Price is right? Yeah, I do. Uh, by job, I mean I go and try and win the Price is right. And by... Oh, by, by Price is right, I mean <laughs> let's make a deal. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Sabago, Sabado, uh, uh, Sabado Gigante. There you go. Or how about I almost this? said Sabado Elegante. No, Sabado Gigante. But you know what? That's the Mexican. I'm going to take deal. it one step further. I'm going to go Tutti Frutti Gigante. Sure. Let's just fuck that up. Yeah. Racist. Um, uh, anyway, Tutti Frutti Gigante is a real show. Is it? it was. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm racist. It's not as big as Sabado Gigante. Okay. And not as racist as Desmond Tutu. <laughs> Desmond Tutu a racist? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> My worldview is destroyed. <laughs> no, he, I went Did to Boston he University. Did he something really racist? Well, they wanted him to be uh, an honorary degree getter at uh-huh. Boston University. And there was a demographic an, on an campus. There were people that protested about Desmond Tutu coming because he was somehow complicit in apartheid in their opinion. Really? Yes. Because he was running the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? And look, so was uh, Winfred Mandela, and she, we know now she's a racist. You know what? I'm sick and tired of these fucking racists. Yeah. I know. Why can't we, uh, why can't we all just pick one race? Hey, there's a funny the name. Hate. Desmond Tutu, Jesse. <laughs> Doesn't have to be 
Madison Bumgardner. I met Desmond Tutu once. Yeah? Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Nobel Peace Prize laureate. Did he racial you? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he um, he, he racialed me. He did. Uh, I thought maybe if I agreed with that, something would come into my head to say. No. I to wish I could remember it. why people were protesting him getting this. It had something to do with... Because he's him. he did win a Nobel Peace Prize, which is one of the best prizes you can win. But so did An- Anwar Sadat. <laughs> yeah, and we all know where that went. <laughs> Speaking of 9-11. Yes! Uh, so this is a costume shop. This is in uh, Jesse's neighborhood, uh, Silver Lake. Um, and the, the, the woman waiting on me was very, very Silver Lakey. Uh, this is a girl in her like mid-20s, dyed red hair... Are we talking about an Aussie Dots? This is, uh, yes, this is Aussie Dots. Sure. <clears throat> uh, oh, how, why, oh, I guess you should probably drive by it. You probably don't go in a lot. I sometimes, look, it's right, it's right next to the, I'd characterize it as being in Los Feliz, number one. It's right next to the Los Feliz Goodwill, which is where I go when I need to blow off some steam. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just buy by, a chest of drawers, smash it in the parking lot. I do it by yelling at people who are trying to overcome their past substance abuse issues through hard work and Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate those guys. Um, and by past substance abuse, I mean they ran out of yeah, crack. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And... Um, so she's helping me. It was a nice experience. She's checking me out, uh, ringing me up, I mean. Right. Um, and uh, she's kind of making chit-chat, and she says, so uh, do you have any plans for Halloween? I said, no, I don't have any plans for Halloween. She says, uh, well, I know what my costume's going to be. I'm going as uh, Jackie O with blood all over myself. Wow. So I'm like, oh, like Jackie O immediately post-assassination. She's like, Right. Um, and, uh, so I, and she, she's, and I was like, oh, so do you have someone going as, uh, JFK? She's like, no, all my friends think it's kind of, uh, all my friends say it's kind of offensive. And, uh, some of them are saying too soon. It's one of our greatest presidents. Sure. And I said, well, I don't, uh, I mean, I, I'm like, I could see offensive, uh, but not too soon though. <laughs> I guess I'm like, I guess it would be too, too soon if you went as one of the nine eleven towers. And she just uh, automatically looks away from me, and she's like, yeah, I was there on that day. It was horrible. <laughs> I love that. So I'm the asshole. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> right? Well, also, define there. If you were there, you'd be dead. Right. That's, I'm, I'm like, eh, you were probably in Greenpoint, red hair. Yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, that was, not to quote Louis C.K. twice in one podcast, <laughs> his joke was, they say you can show your humanity by how long it took you to masturbate after 9-11. I jerked off in between the falling of the first and second towers. Sure. And, you know, did Rob Corddry tell that story on Jordan Jesse Go about the masturbation and the, um, and the Twin Towers? I don't know. I don't remember. Rob Corddry had, uh, he may have, uh, I may have heard this, him tell this story somewhere else. Maybe he told it on The Sound of Young America or something, but... He had a roommate uh, whose initials he gave on the show, so I'm, but I'm not going to give them because <laughs> if you know the initials and you know the world of New York comedy circa that time, it's very easy to figure out who it was. And um, in fact, I just saw this person in a sketch on Nick Swardson's Whoa, television show. Okay. Anyway, um, he, he came out after the first impact um, wearing a robe with a boner. Came out into the living room 
uh, Rob Corddry was there and was like, hey, uh, looks like something nightmarishly horrible is happening. Um, then this person, uh, this other comedy person, uh, excused himself, went back to his bedroom, took care of business, and then came back out to see what all the fuss was about. Really? Yes. Truly. He wouldn't give the name. That's why he he eventually slipped up and gave the initials and then realized he probably shouldn't have given the initials because it was too easy to guess. Well, it could be a little bit like Jonathan Katz's old joke. When did I become uh, the guy who tells other people's jokes? You're the guy jokes? who just shares other people's jokes. Jonathan now. Katz had a joke. Uh, uh, I'm sitting in a bar with this guy, and uh, he says to me, what would you do if you knew the world was going to end in like, Five minutes, and Jonathan's like, I don't know, what would you do? And the guy's like, I'd just I'd fuck the first thing in sight. What would you do? And Jonathan goes, stay very still. <laughs> so he doesn't get fucked. Oh, I said the joke wrong. Completely wrong. The joke is... Do you fuck edit the first this? Thing do you edit moves. this? No. First, fuck fuck the first thing that moves. <laughs> he said... He goes, he goes to Jonathan... <laughs> Never mind. I'm going to stick to Louis C.K. jokes. Yeah, those are easier to recount. Fuck the first have thing you, that moved. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, I'm going to stay very... I got it. Can I ask you this question about... Um, I want to ask you this question about uh, Cats. Yeah. Have you talked to him before? Many times. Doesn't he have an amazing way... And I want to know if my experiences with him... Because I've only talked to him a couple of times. Um, and it's been on the phone. Yeah, it was when he was starting a podcast uh, some years ago. Now I talked with him on the phone about sort of what the, what I sort of gave him some podcasting advice, and um, he this is was my experience of talking to Jonathan Katz. He did not stop making jokes through our entire probably hour long conversation. He also never changed the tone of his voice through that entire one-hour conversation, he was making jokes that were, and I don't mean this as an insult by any means, but basically nine-year-old type jokes. Yeah. But what was amazing was that he, in this conversation, I could not tell whether he was making these jokes for my benefit. It seemed like he wasn't because he's a brilliant stand-up comedian, uh, has brilliant jokes in his act, obviously knows like what is a joke that will impress someone and what's just a joke that you're amusing yourself with. And I, I got the impression that what he wants out of life is to say little jokes without changing his tone of voice. Life is a sleepover party for Jonathan Katz. <laughs> Your parents are in the next room. You have to talk low and you want to make people giggle, including yourself. <laughs> he is... He was relentless. Well, to stay with your baseball metaphors, he's the Cal Ripken Jr. of comedy. He's not hitting home runs, but the guy is built to do comedy. He doesn't care what he looks like. He doesn't care really how he does on stage, or he would raise his voice, which you need to do to kill. Right. I remember being backstage. I started out doing comedy in Boston and worked with him a lot. I remember being at the Providence Comedy Connection, which had an inflatable duck on the roof. Mm. The crowd is all drunk. On, most of them are uh, on outstanding warrants. Do the drunks ever get drunk and try and steal the duck? It The duck was, I remember for a long time, was half full and was uh, falling over the side oh, of the building, much good. like the patrons. 
and he has got all of his paperwork, and he's doing his uh, bill paying on the table in the green room. He could give a shit. He's just amusing himself, and luckily others. <laughs> it was one of the oddest experiences, and I just imagined myself as Jonathan Katz's closest friend, David Mamet. Um, Roommate at Harvard. Yeah, just just fucking what a magical world those two guys must live in. David Mamet with his with his profanities and his hunting outfits and his uh, and his dissecting the differences between different ethnicities of Judaism <laughs> and and Jonathan Katz with his little jokes, his continuous stream of little jokes. Yeah, there's a small core group of those guys. Bill Broadus was part of that. And there was a thing called Cross Comedy in Boston, which was David Cross. And Jonathan was at that school of Cambridge. There was a club in Harvard Square where this cross comedy took place. And it was, you know, Janine Garofalo and Mark Marin and David Cross and a lot of just really brilliantly, Jonathan Groff, just brilliant, funny, misunderstood people. The nerd, you'd call them nerds today. Back then, they were just unsuccessful. By that, by <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you say, you mean that they were really, they were into what? Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd? You son of a bitch. No, they were listening to <laughs> fight, the fight, psychedelic fight, fight. furs. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, there wasn't a lot of money for those guys back then. Jordan, you probably, you must have blown, do you, did you feel, going into that, what are you doing for Halloween? Yeah. Did you kind of feel like you had a shot at making a connection with this woman at the no, counter? No, it was all pleasant small talk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Until. Um, yeah. And it's, I don't know. And I know as, you know, I know as comedy dudes to our other comedy dude friends, it's totally okay to make a joke about 9-11. Like that, but, you know, I had a meal that was worse than a 9-11 in my mouth. You know, like, but I was assuming because... that given her offensive Halloween costume, obviously... Right edgy sense of humor uh and her demographic i'm not an asshole for that but for some reason i am anyways that's a horrible that's a horrible turnabout yeah for you she is clearly i think i'm gonna start with this anyone who wears a halloween costume mm-hmm. that is trying to be an outrageous halloween costume starts off basically being an asshole i think that is a thing for assholes. And I'm not saying that because it's so distasteful or something, just because it's just shitty. It's just a shitty thing to bring into the world. Right? Like somebody who like dressed up as OJ Simpson with like the with like the glove and like a blonde wig in his hand or something like that in 1992 Halloween. Like it's one thing to be the guy that dresses up like Judge Ito. Sure. But it's another thing to be the guy Judge with the OJ with a bloody knife. I'm less turned off by that. Um, I don't think it's funny, and I think it's a stand-in for clever. That's what I'm ta- – But that's, that's, I, to me, that's his offense. That's – I don't know. I don't uh, – I, I don't get, think yeah, – I think you're giving it too much credibility. I don't think they're going for clever. I think they're going for outrageous. Yeah. No, they think it's funny. That's the problem. That's my problem with it. It's not about how outrageous it is. And, you know, whatever. I will, I'll laugh at a good, that breakfast was 9-11 in my mouth joke all night long. All night long and all day. 
I'll throw in the day two. Wow. Sure. Absolutely Well, because you're supposed to never forget. That's just for you, Craig <laughs> Fitzsimmons. Um, uh, but um, the, the part that bothers me about it is I think probably the thing that bothers me the most in the world is a joke that's not actually a joke. And there's no joke there. It's presented like it's a joke, but there's no joke content. I, I vastly prefer a lame joke or a shitty joke to something that's presented like it's a joke but doesn't actually have a punchline. It's a fuzzy line. I'm going to give you three examples. You tell me Number joke one. or not joke. Uh, this one's from the e This is good. Venice Beach. I yep. see a guy on a, uh, you know, the fat tire beach cruiser type bike. Sure. Hanging off the back of the seat and dangling are two fake testicles. Not a joke. I hate fake testicles. I hate it. I hate it. It is the new Calvin peeing on something. I will also say not a joke. Maybe if it was trying, if the whole bike was designed to look like the bottom half of someone's body. I get that there's balls, but it probably wasn't. (laughs) Although, to be fair, he didn't say what it was designed to look like. Sure. Anyways. I'm gonna go Is joke. That right? I'm gonna go joke. Maybe Let's you gotta see it. it. I had to pull over. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and again, you got three opinions. Uh, two say nay. Okay. I say yeah. Sure. Had you seen? Is this something you'd seen on a rednecks truck before? No, that's different. Okay. I mean, you're talking about like having a ponytail hanging the, out of the cab of the. No, of I'm the talking pickup? about the balls on the back of a truck. No, it was on. It was on a bicycle. But I'm saying, have you seen it on the back of a truck? Oh, before? no. Is it out there already? Oh, it's oh, a thing. that's why it's not a joke. I thought it was completely original. The only yeah, thing... I, I think it is now. That's, it, is the, it is the accessory of someone who a couple years ago would have had like a Chevy and Calvin is peeing on the Ford sign or on the, the sticker. Or the trunk with the arm hanging out of it. Yeah. All right, but a on a bicycle guy. with a the balls. It's a ruder, meaner version of arm with a trunk hanging out. But yeah, but maybe, but maybe if... I don't know, and, and I'm and still maybe think it's not a joke, but maybe if this guy, if this Venice Beach fat tire beach cruiser guy is just a, you know, hippy dippy guy, I don't know if it's a little like, hey, look at this one redneck thing I have. Maybe yeah, that's- that almost makes it a joke. I was going to say the one thing that almost makes it a joke to me is that it's on a it's on a beach cruiser instead of a redneck's pickup truck. Anyway, second example number two in the movie. Bruno, was that the Sasha Baron Cohen's yes. last movie? The Mexican gentleman on all fours as furniture for uh, Paula Abdul. Joke. Yeah, joke. I have no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. I think joke, and I think I, I, uh, I feel like I might be the minority loving Bruno. No pun intended? Yes. Uh, and yeah, I feel like that and most things in Bruno are great jokes. Anyway. Yeah, I thought that was... I thought that was uh, so as a person um as a person especially like sort of living in Los Angeles and feeling like a little bit of an outsider i thought that was basically the most perfect social satire i'd ever seen in my entire life like the i like the sort of like the sort of class slash race satire of a rich hollywood person uh literally using a mexican guy as furniture um, All right, so we have two two yays. I'm going to go nay. De- I'm gonna go like nay. a literal dehumanization of a. Of let's a, hear it. No, let's you're hear it. Absolutely let's hear, wrong. Let's, and let's I'll tell hear, you why. Let's hear the nay. 
Because the Mexican guys went back to Home Depot after that was shot with probably $50 <laughs> in their pocket. And Bruno made a lot of money. And Paul Abdul probably got some positive You know Bruno's not a real guy. Who? Bruno. <laughs> what do you mean he's sorry, not I a don't, real guy? Look, it's, he's, I, he's, I know you didn't know but, about that redneck. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Third example. Okay. Sure. Number three. Joaquin Phoenix's last uh, project where he disappeared to... That's what I think of that. Uh, yeah, I would... I, if that's actually what he was like, I would be super into it. I think it would have been cool if that's actually what he was like, if he actually did that. As far as I've seen, and I'd only seen like his appearance on Letterman, some stuff he did on Kimmel, um, and I did not see the film. So I might be mistaken, and if I saw the film, my mind would change. Uh, there's, there was nothing about it that was anything other than lame and annoying to me. Well, I put it under the category of Michael Richards using the N-word. If it had worked, it was a calculated risk. And I think yeah. in this case, because it did not work, only in hindsight can we say it was not a joke. If we had looked at it on paper... And somebody that big, I mean, we're talking an A-lister who was making $10 yeah, yeah. Million plus a movie, said, I'm going to take a dive. We're talking about Joaquin Phoenix still, right? He was an A-lister, no? I'm going to go B. Oh, B+. He's a guy making $1 the, million Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm going to say I don't think it's a huge dis- – I think, I think high, high B, low A. Okay. Either, either way, a lot to lose with a stunt like this. That's, sure. that's putting a lot of your chips Oscar on the table. Oscar nomination. My point being – like Michael Richards, if he had scored that N-word joke, because it's not like there's no comedians that use the N-word on stage. Right. If he had gone and pulled it off, like Andy Kaufman, I happen to know people that worked at the comedy clubs back then, and they say, you know what, 97% of the time, that shit was annoying, boring, <laughs> and not funny. It's the story about it that's right. genius. <laughs> sure. Right. Of course. So I think... That's uh, a good point. But you're going joke with this? I'm going to go... No, fail, I, you say failed joke. I'm saying failed joke, great concept. Yeah, but, but no... But what's the, what's the concept? The concept Explain is... Explain to me what the joke that they were going for was. Him just acting like an asshole. What well, if a guy that wasn't an asshole acted like an asshole and put one over on us? Well, I, don't, I think asshole by our definition of what a Hollywood celebrity should do. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't... Pl- like Dave Chappelle, he didn't follow the script. The average American who's making, you know, 25 grand a year sees a guy who's being offered 50 million turning it down. The guy's an asshole. But in Joaquin Phoenix's world that he lives in, where he's probably got more money than he'll ever. The guy grew up in a commune. He's not a materialistic dude. His brother died. He's a weirdo. That money doesn't mean anything to him. But the concept of faking your own death career wise was compelling. And he went for it. I got to tell you. There's one part of it that I think might be at the core of my objection. I don't like the idea of somebody trying to trick David Letterman. Let Letterman do his thing. Wasn't Letterman in on it, though? Isn't it? No. Didn't it come out that Letterman was in on it? No, it came out that Kimmel was in on it, Uh, but Letterman wasn't. Yeah, but that's... You know what? The old David Letterman, his favorite moment in the world was Andy Kaufman getting into a fight with the... uh, Who was the world wrestler guy he had on? Jerry Lawler? Jerry Lawler. I mean, that Letterman didn't know about that. You could see it on the videotape. And Letterman would put that as one of his top moments in the history. I had this experience... I think it was... Yeah, it might have even been... And again... I'm sure Letterman was fine with it because Letterman got big headlines out of it. The Joaquin one? Yeah. 
But my point is, you're protecting Letterman now. You're saying it's not yeah. fair. He didn't know. But but that's where good comedy comes from. As a host, yeah. Should you be that in yeah, control? And kind of even a little bit of an, an homage to Letterman, even if it was a failed one and a shitty one. It was like, hey, I know that Letterman is the thing to do this on this because is, of his history of tricks and weirdos. And this is be, and he fucking. I mean that in that interview is fun to watch because of how hilarious Letterman is. So, anyways, this is this is the thing that it reminds me of. It's a, and this happened to me a year ago. I may even have talked about it on this show. You know, you're like you see a guy that's got like a cup or something. It wasn't a cup. It was like a book or something like that on top of his driver's side door, and you roll down your window and say you've got a book up there, and he goes, "Ah, gotcha." Yeah. What what is the gotcha there? Yeah. Like, you you caught me trying to help you. That's the same guy that records calls the, to a Chinese restaurant where he makes fun of them because English isn't their first language and they're busy. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it. But, but like I said, I'll, I'm going to reserve judgment to some extent because I didn't see, uh, it, I didn't see the uh, film and also because I have an irrational need to defend David Letterman. We're going into overtime because it's been split so many times. Number four. Okay. Okay, this is going to be it. Lottery ticket. You uh-huh. scratch it, you won a million dollars. Or did you? America's what? Funniest Some Videos. You've seen it, right? No. Uh-uh. They give people a fake lottery card, then you videotape them celebrating them winning a million dollars, and then you tell them that it's fake. I don't like pranks when the thing that I like about Sasha Baron Cohen and that I like about Bruno and um, uh, Borat is, and I don't, I'm not saying that there's not exploitation in those movies, et cetera, et cetera. I think those are reasonable to say. Um, But everything that he does is a joke with a premise and it's, it's about something and the thing that it's about isn't just, you know, we fuck this guy good. It's a deserving victim. It's either, well, it's not, it's, it's mostly not necessarily, it's sometimes it's about the victim, but mostly it's about the joke. Like there are, there are times, you know, like the, like the part in, like the, the part in, um, uh, in uh, the gay one. Which one's which? Bruno. Bruno. The like the part in Bruno with uh, that was Bruno where where they had um uh Ron Paul. Yes. Yeah. Like look, I could not have less time of the day for fucking Ron Paul, that fucking asshole. Sorry internet nerds, don't email me. I'm just going to delete it. So it depends on who but, it happens to. But but like no, no, seriously, but I I could have I could not care less for Ron Paul and just that whole thing. But there wasn't really the only bit in that one was him being a dick to Ron Paul. And I felt the same way actually about the um about the one where he went out with the hunters. Um I, I sort think- of was like, well, what's the joke here? The joke yeah. is just that he's being a dick to some hunters and the hunters are made uncomfortable by the fact that he's being horrible to them. Yeah, and I think in the ones that work, the victim comes towards the bait. The bait, the, the the hammer doesn't come at them like the kid, the parents that are willing to put their kids in Nazi outfits. Yeah, the sure. parents had to meet them halfway for the joke to work. 
Whereas Ron Paul, he's trapped in a, he's just try, he's trying to do a good thing, yeah. you know, or, or at least his totally. job. Yeah, no, he's trying to do a good yeah. thing. There's no doubt about that. I don't think the man's evil. And he's being punished for it. So the joke doesn't work as well as, um, you know, somebody who's going to, uh, like on the, on the Winnebago, if they hadn't talked racist, there would have been no joke. It would have been cut out of the film. Yeah. We'll be back in just a second with uh, more very, very serious discussions <laughs> uh, when we come back. It's Jordan, Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Gregory Sebastian Fitzsimmons. Look, we've got... Uh, <laughs> look at this. We've got a... Uh, 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 what's that called? Sponsor. Yes. Somebody sent us some money. A DVD Afternoon. We talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you went out and listened. If you didn't, this is your opportunity to do it. Some uh, young people. They're from Canada. They don't have a lot going on. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been to Edmonton, where they live. I met them there. Um, frankly, it's a wasteland. But that maybe makes them great people to recommend DVDs to you. They're basically the greatest because the uh, the lady it's a it's a gentleman named Paul and a lady named Heather. Uh, the lady named Heather is uh, I'm going to presume the cute uh, lady behind the counter at the cool video store. And uh, they will recommend DVDs to you. Uh, maybe not so much in the new release category, but maybe in the crazy reissues and the Criterion collections and the whatnots. Yeah, sure. Your your direct D- direct to DVD film. This is how this is how somebody will tell you to go watch Adam Carolla's movie. Sure, a movie that basically went direct to DVD. You might have missed it in theaters, but worth your time. Hammer, the hammer, the yeah. hammer, the hammer. Did you have you seen Carolla's movie? I, I did not. You know what? I recommend that you watch it. It's, I look forward to it. I just got the uh, Netflix hooked up to my uh, TV. Oh, it's, that's fun. It's a fun and funny movie, well-crafted, uh, not a lot of surprises, but I laughed a lot at it. Chris Henchy wrote it, correct? Yeah, I think they. I think he and, oh, yeah. and Corolla wrote it together, maybe? Yeah, I think so. It's basically about Corolla. There's no, like, I mean, it's like, what if Corolla had never become a famous person? Yeah. That's sort of the premise of the show, uh, the film. It was very funny. Enjoy it. Anyway, DVD Afternoon, the name of the podcast. Uh, you can look it up in your Information Tunes uh, uh, computer device um, and get it for free. And uh, if you want to sponsor a future Jordan Jesse Go, um, it's 100 bucks for a personal message, 150 for a commercial message on an episode of the show. Just email Teresa, our development director at Teresa at MaximumFun.org. T-H-E-R-E-S-A. La, 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 la. Jordan, Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Fitzsimmons. Greg Fitzsimmons. It's fun having Greg Fitzsimmons here, huh? From mm-hmm. Fitzdog Radio. He's the author of Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons. That's Same correct. The book, correct? I read the fucking thing. I know. I, I don't I, remember what the name of it is. You're one of the first people to read it outside of the people that were making money from reading it. A very enjoyable book full of, uh, full of various documents documenting the many mistakes that Greg Fitzsimmons has made in his life. <laughs> Well, it, I wouldn't call them all mistakes. I would call misinterpretations in some cases. Uh-huh, sure. uh, as a comedian, your job is really to always do the opposite of what people expect. So in certain gigs, like corporate events, uh-huh. which there's one of those in there. I did a show for the American rectum, rectum and colon 
So something like that. And the instructions were to not make any jokes about... Rectums and colon. And I made jokes about assholes. Okay. Yeah, so I was even worse than the instructions. And there's a lot of... Oh, you could say asshole, just don't use the (laughs) clinical term. (laughs) Exactly. And not like they hadn't heard every asshole joke, which is probably more of the directive, was just an originality issue more than a censorship. It's novel to you to be talking to a bunch of asshole doctors. And that's what's great about the asshole doctors, not the ones that are assholes but that work with them, is if you guys have not had your your rectums probed yet, but uh, when you turn 40... You lose your virginity back there, and they have a joke. Each of these doctors has maybe two, three jokes, but you they can... have put it up the butt material. Yeah, like look, just to like put you at ease, exactly. So to speak. Okay, and I won't even repeat the one my doctor said because no. even to us it's trite. And as a comedian, when the doctor tries to do that, I just want to go, "Hey, man, you want me to, you know." You want me to put a finger up your ass since you're a doctor? Don't tell me a joke. Yeah. And because I'm a comedian, I uh, I have a different bar for humor, so you're going to have to say, it looks like 9-11 up there <laughs> to make me laugh, doctor. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So the point being, they're not mistakes as much as the constant misinterpretations of comedic intent sure starting at a young age i mean as a kid (laughs) some of the letters you read were jokes i made in class and teachers would write down word for word what i said then those are the best because i'd be at the dinner table and my father would read the letter to us like take it out of the envelope sure so he hasn't even read it yet sure and one of them is about um i was teaching proportions and i said this is the first position second position etc greg then called out are there any other positions is there a 69 position? In quotes. So now my parents are laughing. Sure. I'm laughing. It's funny. And I go back to school with a better or worse attitude. I think better. Mm, yeah. I think better. You're a win. Yeah, go back with a winning attitude. I got support at home, which is what they say is the foundation of education. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's, I, I read it. I read the book. I enjoyed the book. Greg, uh, Greg and I recorded an interview that will be uh, airing in about a month or so on The Sound of Young America. It's really a wonderful interview. Also, a very touching book. Oh. A very touching no, book. I, can, I get that you kind of have a soft spot. I get that from, from our brief interaction. You look like a baby. You look like your skull hasn't closed. Yes. I have, um, I have a very, very sensitive side, and I cry a lot. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I feel a People lot like a woman. People can hear that in your voice. Yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel like a woman. And, it uh, wavers. Your voice wavers. Like a baby, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm Irish. Irish people are really very sensitive people. We are, um, you know, our relationship sing, to our mother's... Danny boy at the drop of, mm. a, drop of a dime. Four green fields. Sure. Why not? It, it, you Go to may, town. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even the fighting songs. I'm talking about the mother whose boy was lost in the trouble songs. Those are mine. So I think comedy is natural for people that, that feel as much as I do. I wonder if my stepmother has one of those songs about the time her sister tried to take her piece of bacon and <laughs> she stabbed her in the hand with a fork and drew blood. Well, I mean, Johnny Cash rolling around, the boy named Sue rolling around in the mud and the blood and the beer. Yeah. You know, one minute you're you're being a uh, you know uh, what is the word emasculated, and the next <laughs> you're rolling around in the mud and the blood and the beer. They one goes hand in hand. They're two they're they're two sides of the same coin. I'd say comedy tragedy. Yeah, 
Wasn't that beautiful, Jordan? It kind of was. Greg and I have are just gotten really deep. Yeah. I don't mean to leave you out of the whole thing. I'm not as Greg sophisticated and I super as you deep And I'm, I don't have as many emotions. Look. You do seem like somebody that does, but has been very successful at being funny and, and uh, nerdy mm, yep. and, you know, sort of interesting. Yep. But I think underneath there is a very, uh, very soft, childlike person. Mm. I do like Legos. He so. is. He's pretty soft. Is he? It, I mean, I'm an, I'm unfit. Is what yeah. you mean? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I'm not fit. Yeah, and I mean, I am too. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not putting you well, down. You remind me. I'm sure you hear this all the time. Pat Oswalt. Uh, yeah, that's that. That comes up. Yes, it's M- maybe more often Jack Osborne, which I don't care for as much no. because he's terrible. I'm sorry not about good. that. That's okay. But the Pat Oswalt sort of balances it out because he's so cool yeah. and yet so. Your style of nerd is cool. Right, yeah. So he, he owns it, and he's very knowledgeable and interesting and funny about it. So yes, I, I definitely uh, admire him a lot. Greg Fitzsimmons uh, has used the jacket. I Ching to look into your soul. Yeah. Did and you feel he's it? the guy who did the voice for Ratatouille. <laughs> That's what lives inside me. Hey. We'll be back we're, in just... We're celebrities. We'll be back in just a second on Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Hi, Greg Fitzsimmons. Greg Fitzsimmons, the host of Fitz Dog Radio. You can get it in your iTunes. He's also the author of Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons, which is going to make a great holiday gift to your favorite comedy fan, uh, Irish person, mm-hmm. uh, school teacher. Mm-mm. Um, Not school teacher. Who is this inappropriate for? High school, high school, uh, high school prom comedy booker. Yes, I will perform uh, at any event. Apparently, I did a high school prom <laughs> show, and it didn't go well. I have also done a high school prom no. show, and it was awful. Really? Absolutely. Where was it? This was in, oh God, somewhere near Santa Cruz that was like an hour away from Santa Cruz. Not even San Jose. Anyways. Did you get, where, how did you, did the crow's nest book you into that or something? something there, yeah, you know, we, uh, I did a little bit of stand-up comedy in Santa Cruz where we went to college, and there was somebody out there who was recruiting comics to do... Like bars and restaurants that had comedy nights. Yeah, and yeah I did a prom and uh, wow. Yeah. There's no, there's no way to gauge the tone because comedy's all tone. You know how outlandish, how edgy. Yeah, high school kids, even those prom night, there's no edge. They want, they want carrot top. Sure. Yeah. Fucking high schoolers. Yeah. So I guess what the take home here is: if you're out there, you're in high school, go fuck yourself. Suck on a muffler. Sure. Jesus, that seems harsh. I mean, I... My own brother is in high school. He's oh, good. a sweet young man. Okay. Because I date a lot of women. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We don't want to squash Greg's game. <laughs> if yeah. they want to suck on something, not a tailpipe. Yeah. yeah. Probably a, like a Greg Fitzsimmons dick. Well, I'm just saying it's cleaner. It's better for the environment. Right. <laughs> Fewer emissions. <laughs> Some emissions. Both get tested <laughs> once a year. Right. <laughs> but you're buying at carbon Jif- offsets. At Jiffy Lube. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you do your STD test. <laughs> that lift hurts so much. I know. 
Um, well, it was, a, it was a joy and a pleasure to have you. Thank you kindly. It's a good hang. Thank you. Can't wait for the soup. Um, we'll be back next week on Jordan Jesse Go. Our theme music, Love You by the Free Design, courtesy of the Free Design and Light in the Attic Records. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org. I recently talked to somebody who had never heard the sound of Young America, only knew about Jordan Jesse Go. What is that all about? I don't know. Look, if you're not if you're not dipping your toes in the waters of each of the Maximum Fun podcasts, if you're not spending some time with our Canadian brothers and stop podcasting yourself, if you're not enjoying the sketch comedy of Casper Hauser, hey, listen, you're as, you're basically a high schooler to me. Yeah, you know what? Don't even don't even let them go. Don't let them go to the uh, yeah to the sound of Young America. Don't let them. No, fuck them. Who needs them? Um, hey, if you are live in New York City. Um, and you're listening to this immediately upon its release. Uh, this will probably go out on, as we record this, it's Wednesday night. Uh, we have a show on Friday night. The show is sold out. However, uh, we're going to have a meetup immediately after the show at 9 o'clock on Friday night uh, at uh, a place called the I-In. Um, I think it's called the I-In. I hope I'm not making that up. Mm. Uh, all the details are on the website at Maximum Fun. Uh, dot org. Uh, the address is it is in. It's called the Ear Inn. Excuse me, the Ear Inn. It is the o- oldest bar in New York City, or at least claims to be. Um, oh, it, it is. It's, at, yeah, McSorley's and the Ear Inn are the two oldest. Three twenty six Spring between Greenwich and Washington. Nine p.m. on Friday night. Come join us. Whether or not you got in to see the show, and the Sound of Young America Live is going to be streaming on Friday night uh, on the Green Space website, and we'll put up a link at MaximumFun.org. Uh, the show is at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, uh, and features, uh, we're talking about Les Savvy Fav. We're talking about Baratunde Thurston. We're talking about, we're talking about... Uh, Madison Judah, Bumgardner. Judah Friedlander. Mm. Um, we're talking about... Uh, a, a young woman named Amy Sedaris. Wow. Uh, possibly the funniest person in the world, if you ask me. Um, all on that show. And uh, so, yeah, tune in either online or in person in New York City. We'll see you there. Um, I'm sure th- that meetup, by the way, is going to be another great Jesse Thorne meetup. How's your meetups going, Jordan? Bide your time. It's How's all your meetups I'm going? It's, you had some cool meetups so far? It's I ruminating. Don't... I only, Jesse, I only need one. Sorry, no calls. I only need one. <laughs> Sorry, no calls this week. We, we had some trouble with the CD. The new intern burned it wrong. I'm not going to lie to you. 206 fun is uh, the telephone number to call. And also on our forum this week, uh, lots of cool entries into the uh, King of Children contest. Uh, we scanned them all, put them up on the forum. So forum.maximumfun.org to check out the entries. And if your kid wants to enter... The mailing address, 1553 Silverwood Terrace, Los Angeles, California, 90026. And uh, you can also email them to jjgo at maximumfun.org. That's enough shit, right? Yep, plenty. We'll talk to you next time on Jordan Jesse Go. Woo!